Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is taken from John 19, verses 17 to 27. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aromatic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, 
They took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let us not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, his, this disciple took her into his home. The third reading is from John chapter 19, verses 28 to 42. It's inside your handout if you want to follow along. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had finished the drink... Receive the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And as another scripture says... They will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body... The two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they'd laid Jesus there. Well, good morning. My name's Simon. If you haven't uh, met me before, uh, we're going to be thinking about a Good Friday and all that it means for us. Well, perhaps we won't cover all that it means for us. Uh, We could be here for quite some time, but we're going to be contemplating uh, what Jesus did on the cross and why that's such a wonderful thing for each one of us. Uh, So I'm going to pray and we'll ask for God's help as we consider his word together. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful day that you have given us. 
to remember and to give thanks for the gift of your son. We pray that today you might help each one of us appreciate more fully, more deeply, the great depths of your love for us, the wonder of the sacrifice that Jesus made, the incredible blessings that we enjoy because of him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought it a bit odd that Christians speak about someone's death on this day with such um, fondness, uh, even excitement? The cross of Jesus has become the universal symbol that represents Christianity. Uh, and it's a strange kind of symbol if you think about it. Um, Sometimes we forget that the cross is an instrument of execution. A death by a Roman crucifixion was designed to inflict maximum cruelty and humiliation. Perhaps the modern equivalent of using a cross as a symbol might be to uh, mount a hangman's noose at the top of our churches or maybe to wear a little miniaturised electric chair around your neck as a piece of jewellery. Uh, that would be odd and yet at the same time, we recognise that the cross is an appropriate symbol uh, to uh, reflect on why we belong to God and who the Lord Jesus is. We use the symbol of the cross gladly because we recognise that what happened on that first Good Friday lies at the very centre of God's plan of salvation for us. And so it's right that we can continue to insist and call this day Good Friday. Mike's clarification about holy notwithstanding. But of course, not everyone sees that. People see all sorts of different things when they look at the cross of Jesus. Some people see a senseless waste of life. For some, it's a political symbol about the powerful oppressing the weak. For others, it's just another chapter in the sordid history of man's inhumanity to man. Some people see just another martyr who died for a cause. But I think even for many people who don't identify as Christians, lots of people have found inspiration in Jesus and particularly in the Easter story. Uh, the great political activist and generally regarded as the, the father of modern India, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, was one of those who felt that way. He once said this of Jesus. He said, Jesus' death on the cross was a great example to the world, but that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, my heart could not accept. For Gandhi, Jesus was an inspirational figure, a great teacher even. Even his death on the cross, he acknowledges, is a, a wonderful example to the world. But no more than that. Uh, it's a curious coincidence in some ways that Gandhi himself would be assassinated on a Friday, but his devotees don't consider it to be a good Friday, perhaps a day to acknowledge and commemorate, but certainly not something to celebrate. There are a lot of people, even those who wouldn't call themselves believers, who see in the cross a powerful example of sacrificial love. And I think it's fair to say that they're at least half right. The death of Jesus is a great example to us. In fact, the Bible holds up his death as a model for us, a model to follow, a model to live by. And in particular, it, it, it 
says that it exposes and, and displays to us uh, both the humility of God and the love of God as an example for us to take after. And we find these words in the book of Philippians as Paul reflects on the character of Jesus. It says, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus chose to humble himself, firstly by becoming one of us, by taking on human form. That was no small thing in itself. But he then spent his life in the humble service of other people. He didn't come to indulge himself with the comforts and the pleasures of this world. No, Jesus was the one on the night before he died, as we looked at a few weeks ago, who was down on hands and knees, scrubbing up dirt between the toes of his disciples. But more than all of that, so much did he love us that he willingly suffered the humiliation of being crucified on a cross. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, here is your standard. This is the example that Christ sets for us. And we're called here to have an attitude like his. Not selfish, not arrogant, not proud, but to be humble like him, to be a servant of others like our Lord and Saviour. In most human cultures, it's generally seen as a shameful thing to be a servant of other people. But it ought not to be for us, not for those who follow Jesus. There is no greater honour than to serve. And so that's what we should aspire to be like, to be humble. Because that's what our Lord and Saviour is like. And Jesus provides us with that model of humility. He also provides us with a model of love. If you want to see what real love looks like, what real love costs, look to the cross. A couple of weeks ago, we came across this statement from Jesus himself. He said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's how Jesus perceived what he was doing on the cross, that he was laying down his life for his friends. And you cannot show greater love than to give your life for another. If you want to know whether or not God truly loves you, look to the cross. See what God was willing to give, what Jesus was willing to endure for your sake. But Jesus' love is not just something to be admired, something to be in awe of, and so we should be. But the really challenging part for us is that his love is held up to us as our example to follow as well. Uh, in 1 John chapter 3, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Again, here is our standard. Here is our model. A love that gives of yourself, that costs you personally. A love that is selfless, that wants what is best for the other. In the death of Jesus, we see not only the depth, the richness of God's love for us, 
but it's also held up to us as the ultimate example of what true love ought to look like as we seek to express that to one another. And so, no, it's, it's not wrong to emphasise how Jesus' death is an example for us, a model for us to follow. It's a powerful picture of humility and love. But his death is so much more than that too. The cross of Jesus is so much more than merely an example to our world. See, at another level, the cross is not an example for us at all. We need to also understand that the cross is something for Jesus alone. Because when Jesus goes to the cross, he's doing something that only he can do. Something that only the righteous son of God is qualified to do. He's going there to take away the sin of the world. When John records the events of that day for us, as we've just been reading today, he alerts us to the fact that something far greater is going on that day. Even as he describes the soldiers gambling over Jesus' clothes, he alludes to this. In chapter 19, which I've got out of order, it says this. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. John alerts us here to the fact that what's happening on the cross is no accident. In fact, what's unfolding is all according to a plan, God's plan, the one that he put into effect before the creation of the world. And so here John will speak of scripture being fulfilled He mentions that, in fact, three times in this chapter. You might have noticed that as we read through it. He keeps referring to the fact that these things are happening in order to fulfil scripture. And here in verse 24, the particular scripture that he's got in mind is a quote from Psalm 22, something written by King David a thousand years before Jesus was even born. What's happening on that day is no tragedy, no accident. These things have been a long time coming and a long time promised. The death of Jesus on the cross is fulfilling what was written in the Bible many years before Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what he was doing. That's why we often talk about Jesus giving up his life. Because it wasn't taken from him. Jesus knew exactly what his mission was and he came for that very purpose. To give his life for us. He told his disciples this in a number of different ways. Jesus described him coming in order to lay down his life. Said he was going to give his life as a ransom for many. Said that his blood would be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus alone knew that in order to save us, in order to bring forgiveness, to deal with our brokenness, to deal with our sinfulness, he would have to go to the cross and give up his life. And so that's what he did. That's what's happening on that very first Good Friday. Out of his love for us, we see Jesus lay down his life so that each one of us can be put right with God. I want to show you a couple of verses that make that point clear. In one of John's letters, he writes this, This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In 1 Peter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We need to be clear about why Jesus is on that cross, that he is there to pay the penalty for our sin. One of the great features of the Easter story is that the events of Good Friday are taking place during what we call the Jewish Passover. Uh, And the timing of that is certainly no coincidence. Uh, John, again in his account, draws our attention to this uh, in chapter 9, verse uh, 30 and 31. No, I'll just read it out for you. You've got it written there. Actually, it's chapter 19, verses uh, 14 that I want to refer to. Chapter 19, verse 14 says, It was a day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. The Passover festival was a time when Israel remembered what God had done to rescue them out of Egypt, out of their slavery in Egypt. It commemorates the way that God enabled his people to escape that final judgment the judgment against the firstborn children. And in order to escape that judgment, a lamb was sacrificed. Its blood was taken and painted over the doorframe of their home. And they had to prepare a meal with that lamb, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And when God comes in judgment that night, the firstborn of Egypt are taken, but God passes over the homes that were protected by the blood of the Lamb. And through this great and terrible act of judgment, God brings salvation. He brings freedom for his people. So just as the Israelites sheltered from God's judgment under the blood of a Lamb, there is only one place for us to shelter from the just judgment of God. And it is under the protection of the spent blood of Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross and there he pays the penalty for sin. There he suffers the judgment of God as he dies in our place. Atones for your sin and for mine. There's a kind of bitter irony in that story. Because for the Israelites, it was their firstborn sons who were spared through the Passover. But not this time. This time the firstborn son will not be spared. The father doesn't spare his own son. As that most famous of verses reminds us, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Jesus, the Lamb of God, gives up his life so that we can live. That is the price of our salvation. You cannot earn it. You cannot contribute to it. All you can do is accept it. John records for us uh, the final words of Jesus in verse 30. It says, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished, said Jesus. And so it was. 
with the end of his life comes the end of the work that the Father had sent him to complete. His suffering was over. The price had been paid. Can you see how it would be a mistake to think that Jesus' death was simply an example of love for our world? And is Good Friday a good day for you? That is to say, do you see that what Jesus did, he did for you? I don't pretend to know where each of you stands with Jesus. If you've sought his forgiveness, if you've accepted what he did for you on the cross. But if you haven't done that, can I encourage you to take another look? Take another look at Jesus and what he's doing for you on that cross. Know that he offers you a new start, forgiveness, a new life as one of his children. Jesus dies to make that possible so that you could be his, so that you could be set free, so that you could be forgiven. Will you receive it? So we're going to keep calling it Good Friday because it's the best news any one of us could ever hope to hear. And Juliana's going to lead us in prayer. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, when we consider the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf, we are humbled and truly grateful. May our attitudes be those of Jesus in serving others in humility and loving even when it hurts. But more especially, we thank you that when Jesus died on the cross and laid down his own life, he did so so that we could be right with you. Thank you for rescuing us, for saving us, and sheltering us under the blood of Jesus. Thank you for making it possible to have a new life. With a whole realm of nature mine, that we're a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the cross. Amen.